0: podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, right across from the one, the only, Tammy, the underdog, Underwood. say gur, Tam.
1: No. <laughs> that is some lame grrs, man. You know what?
0: <laughs> All right, so we got part two to Carrie Stainer.
1: Yes, part two. Now, remember, we left off with the murder of the, th- the mother, the daughter, and the friend.
0: Right. And right, right.
1: they had drug in four suspects and, like, six or seven accomplices or whatever. And then they were—the authorities were adamant that they had whoever was responsible for the killing already behind bars. Right. Remember? Right, right. And then three weeks after they made that statement— the case had to be reopened because a fourth victim was brutally slain just a few miles from Cedar Lodge. Okay. Okay. And remember, he worked there as a handyman. Okay, so there's a connection right there. Um, and acting on a tip from a caller, because um, he wanted to know where his friend Joy Ruth Armstrong was. Um, she was supposed to be going. Packing up her stuff and going to her friend's house and when she didn't show up, he called the authorities, like, there's something wrong. So the that authorities went to her house on sometime on June twenty yeah, June twenty second. They went to her house to check it out and they found her vehicle out front, parked and filled with stuff like she was getting ready to go, but she didn't leave. And she actually um I see where was she enjoyed. She was employed with the Yosemite Institute, so she would teach classes to people and stuff about conservation and nature and all that other stuff. Oh, kind of a hippie. Yeah, kind of a little bit. And that actually, in a documentary, the first documentary I saw on this kind of called her a hippie, you know, because (laughs) she would like uh, do gardening in the field across the street and get her drinking water from a stream and
0: and she smelled like patchouli. Yeah, and she worked.
1: She lived in a cabin off, you know. Next to the resort, you know, the campgrounds and stuff. Because she had a living quarters in the forested community. It There's about 30 cabins there that are used by park workers. Oh, okay. You know, so like um, I relate it back to, uh, what was it called back in the day? Migrant farming housing. Remember how they'd have the cabin set up near the farm where they migrate, you know?
0: No, they, they still have that now. like Do uh, they? Yeah, like uh, when I was hauling belt trailers, uh, doing a lot of agriculture it's probably about ten years ago. Most the uh, farms that I went to had migrant housing.
1: Oh yeah, because the farm where near the farm where I grew up, there was a section of migrant housing. So, anyways, after um, then they went and searched the field across from her cabin and found her mutilated body there. Okay,
0: that happens to hippies, man.
1: Yeah, well, and unfortunately, one of the law enforcement officers leaked some information to the press. That um, released the information that she had been decapitated.
0: You know what? They need to use more duct tape for leaky officers.
1: See, that's <laughs> that's something <laughs> I brought up with Keith when you said how he, they de- they electrical tape the the rope, and I was like, "That's his problem. He didn't use duct tape." <laughs> right, right, right. But, um, anyways, so what? And they actually literally found her near. Um, the stream where she would go get her drinking water from. Right? So, um, let's see. Here we go. Oh, and then after they found the body, the um, Chief James Maddox said he himself questioned whether the Bureau could have done anything to prevent Armstrong's killing because the public was pretty much outraged. It's like, you said you, the killer was behind bars and now another one of our residents is dead. You know? Gotcha. And he said... I've struggled with that issue for the last 24 hours and continue to do so. However, I'm confident we've done everything that could reasonably be done at the time. Um, Let's see here. I lost my... Okay. Anyways... um, Apparently, she had just sent an email to another friend of hers, like the day before, telling her, you should come see this place. I wonder if you ever will. I love my garden and living in Yosemite, one of the most beautiful places in the whole wide world. So, 48 hours after they found Armstrong's body, an FBI agent in charge. FBI agent charged James Maddock announced that a man was in custody on a strong suspicion of murder and that a significant announcement would be made shortly after that. Um, Come to find out the suspect was Carrie Stainer, who was 37 at the time. And he had actually been called in for questioning in February about the triple murder. But there was nothing to link him to them other than the fact that he was a handyman at the lodge.
0: He was arrested for being white without a permit. (laughs)
1: In Yosemite, in the Yosemite. whitest area in the country. That's right. Oh, wait. No, that's <laughs> Quarterly, in Idaho. My bad. <laughs> that is true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is true. I take
1: that back.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know what is whiter, seriously. A Quarterly, in Idaho, or anywhere in Canada.
1: Oh, yeah. Huh. It's But, you know. So, anyways, um, oh, so now after that murder, he, he, along with some other people, were again taken in for questioning. And this time, they actually detained him and forced him to answer more questions. They searched his truck and confiscated his backpack. And then um, after the questioning, they let him leave the station. But they said that he was not to leave El Portal as they were not through with him. Right? And according to an article printed in the San Francisco Chronicle... A witness says that Stainer was angry about the authorities seizing his backpack after being questioned. He was also angry about how they had searched his vehicle. But apparently, when the agent searched his apartment later that day, they discovered the evidence that linked him to Armstrong's murder. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Special Agent Maddox explained, during the last 24 hours, we have developed specific information linking Stainer to the Sun-Peloso murders. And what this evidence was not made known at the time, but, you know, I'll get into it here in a minute. Um, He, in the meantime, had disappeared. He'd gone, he'd left his premises by the time the agents came back to arrest him. Um, they did catch up to him. However, um, that was on July 23rd. They did catch up to him in Laguna del Sol at a nudist colony
0: <laughs> where that's, he was known to frequent. That's exactly where I want to go. <laughs> right there. <laughs> you know,
1: that's where you would go if you were on the run, right? To oh, a nudist colony. Yeah. Exactly. All blended with all the other pasty white guys.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And plus, you know, you don't know if you're going to get caught. You get a little bit of a show, have a meal, have a dinner and a show.
1: That's right. Dinner and a show. Um... Apparently, the manor, manager there had seen a newscast, recognized his photo, as Stainer's photo as one of the guests, and he called the FBI and told him where he was. So by that evening, the FBI felt they had gathered enough evidence and testimony to arrest Stainer for murder. Then on Sunday morning, they rushed him to the Fresno to officially lodge a complaint and then took him on to Sacramento on Monday where he was arranged before the court, <laughs> Arraigned before the courts. Now, that same day, Stainer allowed himself to be interviewed by a reporter from KNTV. Because, you know, that always goes so well, Ward Weaver III.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit, huh? <laughs> I just
1: couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. So during that session, uh, something unexpected happened. In a voice that seemed relieved to be unburdened from its depth came a secret. He said, I'm guilty. I murdered Carol's son, Julie's son, and Sylvania Peloso and Joey Armstrong. Oh, I None of the a real women secret. were sexually abused in any way. On oh, national TV. But I
0: thought you had a real secret. Like, okay, I admit it. I'm guilty. I am wearing a thong <laughs> and nipple tassels. And uh, I kind of like it. I feel pretty.
1: <laughs> oh, so pretty.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, apparently, that confession shocked everybody. In the interview, he said he had fantasized about killing women for the last 30 years. And he described in detail how he murdered Carol's son, her daughter, Julie, and uh Peloso. He said he strangled Peloso and Carol in their rented cabin in Cedar Lake, at the Cedar Lodge Motel. Then he took Julie to a lake where he killed her early the next morning. He then went back and took the rental car with the bodies of Mrs. Sund in Sylvania inside, then returned two days later to burn the evidence and to retrieve Mrs. Sund's wallet.
0: But haven't we all, as guys thought about killing women <laughs> and,
1: you know when even us women have thought about killing you men and other women
0: uh, pretty pretty oh. sure yeah like there, there, there's times you're sitting but there yeah with a soon-to-be ex that tried <laughs> to stab you you're like i should kill this twice
1: i should just end it all now <laughs> just end it
0: uh prison's looking really good prison's looking good <laughs>
1: it's looking better than living with this
0: <laughs> oh oh yes oh yes
1: so anyways yeah so he had you know killed the mother and the friend then left their bodies in the motel, took Julie out to the lake where he killed her the following morning.
0: And then she said, worst date ever. Would right? you recommend? <laughs> <And>
1: then, <laughs> Yelp review. <laughs> Do not visit here. No. And then he went back to the hotel, got the car, put the mom and friend in the trunk, and then drove it out there. And then when the news hit that they are looking for him, he went and tried to destroy the evidence. Okay. He thought he had gotten away. <laughs> oh Wait. Uh, but, but, okay, he then went and took the wallet and dumped it in Modesto to try to confuse the authorities. So he tried to pull an Austin sick.
0: Yeah, that works. Yeah, that that that, that tracks, and he would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for the pesky kids and that, that dog.
1: Pesky kids and that damn dog. <laughs> so he said he thought he had gotten away with the crimes, but could not resist his urge to kill somebody else after he struck up a, a conversation with her. Um. Then at the end of the vi- the interview, he actually addressed the families of the victims, saying, I am sorry their loved ones were where they were when they were. I wish I could have controlled myself and not done what I did. So, to me, that's like he placed the blame on the victims. <laughs> you, yeah, know, kinda. Like, you know, kind of. It's like, you know what, I'm sorry they were there, but you know what, they were there.
0: Or he's just kind of shrugging off, like, hey, man, what can I say? Wrong place, wrong time. That's, that's, that's BS. Pretty
1: right? much. Um... And apparently the FBI said that he had already confessed his guilt during the Saturday interrogation. And so in their mind, this time they had the right man. Of course, he had given the FBI details that only the killer would know. And so they were able to recover evidence which corroborated his
0: confession. I think it was Colonel Mustard in the <laughs> library with the candlestick.
1: So
0: Is that what he said?
1: Yeah, they were actually able to. He told them exactly where they could find the knives that were used to um, kill Joy Armstrong.
0: Well, knife to meet you.
1: Here <laughs> we go. I've been waiting. You went through all that interview with Keith, and I didn't hear one dad joke.
0: Not one dad joke. I know. That's just not... I'm.
1: I'm. I'm. I'm really. You know.
0: Kind of I was, shocked. I was listening closely.
1: I know. So, um, according to everybody that if he hadn't confessed or been so sloppy, he would have been the furthest suspect from anybody's mind. Nobody would have thought it was him. If that comment made by Cedar Lodge restaurant manager, Kathy Hefner sounds unforgivably unforgivably naive, then most of his co-workers actually said they fully understand why he had fooled the FBI as long as he did. He just wasn't the killer type. He wasn't a troublemaker. He wasn't You know, very intelligent, he was never violent, and his only encounter with the law was for marijuana back in 1997. Now, there's, I mean, you can't fault him for that. Who hasn't smoked the wacky tobacco? Um, So he was a relatively quiet, friendly handyman, and his only passion seemed to be, you know, nude sunbathing and nude hiking. On his days off, he would just go to the Laguna del Sol nudist colony in Sacramento, and despite his surrender, he never behaved lewdly or perversely there.
0: See, I like nude hiking, too, but I'm not allowed at that Girl Scout camp anymore, and I don't know why. It's just, it's sad. It really is. It it, it saddens me greatly.
1: You know what? No, I was almost going to make a comment about you being there for the Girl Scout murders in Oklahoma, but you were not even born yet, I don't think.
0: <laughs> Maybe I was. Maybe I wasn't. <laughs> All I know is I got some cookies.
1: <laughs> damn, damn pesky Girl Scouts. The, re-
0: the other reason why I got kicked out of the uh, Girl Scout camp was for trying to eat brownies.
1: Oh, my God. We're done. <laughs> That's not Screw right. Screw them Thin Mints. I'm going for a brownie.
0: <laughs> That's what they call the little Girl Scouts. I know. <laughs>
1: I'm not dumb. <laughs> so, um, let's see here. His father, Delbert, admitted that he thought Carrie may have suffered trauma when, at age 11 when his brother Stephen, who was seven, was abducted in 1972 and had was gone for eight years. But in that time, Stephen had been forced to endure molestations by his kidnapper before he finally returned, you know, came back home. So... But according to Delbert, Carrie was going through puberty, and he just dis- he endured some emotional hardships be- because of the incident. So I think they dismissed it as it wasn't as severe as Stevens. So why he doesn't need the help that Steven needs, you know? Which I think a whole family should have gone in for counseling. Oh,
0: I agree. A big a big traumatic thing like that. Yeah, the whole family should be in counseling. Kind of. You know, because there's st- much like death, there's a whole grieving process.
1: Yeah, because they had already thought that Stephen was dead.
0: Right. And then you find out that he was alive and not just alive, but he's been being molested.
1: And living know. not far from his grandfather's house. Right.
0: You know, so there's like survivor's guilt going on there. There's. Oh, totally. You know, it's still grieving. And, yeah. But no, no. They'd sit there and go, oh, we don't need counseling. No, yeah, you do, fuckers.
1: Yeah, well, and that's just it. And I rela- I said this in the first part of this episode, you know, this case that Carrie was the older brother, so I would assume he had significant amount of guilt for not being there to protect his little brother when his little brother was abducted. So then, Carrie uh, ends up graduating from Merced High School, and he worked as a window installer at a glass company. Then he got hired on at Cedar Lodge as a handyman in 1997 and gave him the use of a small apartment on the top floor. The management there said that he was a hard worker and very honest. They trusted him, you know, completely. In his capacity, he performed technical and housekeeping duties, everything from fixing the electrical wiring and mechanical breakdowns to delivering extra towels and bedding if the guest requested it. He shut up. He usually ate lunch and dinner at the motel restaurant, and often would often work. And often after work, he would relax with a beer and a bowl of soup at the restaurant. Some who knew him have an incredibly difficult time accepting the facts that he was involved in the murders. Um. Apparently, Sandy Cox, whose hu- cox, whose husband owned the window company where Stainer had worked before. Um, says, we've known Kerry since he was a little boy. It just doesn't match up. Out of respect for his family and the victim's family, we won't say anything more. Um, So, as you can guess, the FBI was significantly criticized in the press for their error in not identifying Stainer as the suspect after the triple murder. Um, But... um, (laughs) Or what finally led them to a stainer. But Maddox did issue a statement that says... I look forward to the day I can share the details of the investigation from start to finish. The answer was not good enough for a lot of you know, people. Especially the two uh, rep- attorneys representing some of the previously mentioned people who were behind bars. Who were still considered suspects. Some of these ha- suspects have passed lie detector tests and even offered to give blood samples to support their innocent. yet the authorities still claimed they were, you know, they were might have been responsible. One suspect, it was learned a little later, had conclusive proof that he was working out of state, but he was still considered a major suspect by the authorities.
0: <laughs> and, nice.
1: I know. I'm just telling you, it's just like, and according to the lawyers, and I kind of agree with the statement, their clients were patsies forced to wait in the sidelines while they struggled to make up their mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, and I, I totally agree with that statement. Um, somebody went on to say, I don't understand how such a large investigation with such experienced investigators missed the trail completely. Um, the, he It's by Ramones Magana I think is how you pronounce it And he was actually representing two of those previous suspects They put in so much time Energy and resources Into an investigation of people That appear to be unrelated And unconnected completely Um A brother Um Hang on I lost my place Oh Um Another person by the name of Tom, he's a public defender, Tom Bazar, claimed, I have never heard any evidence that ties anyone in these, to these slayings. Not only did the FBI arrest everybody over the last several months, they attempted to put pressure on one or the other to turn the others in the group in. It actually appears they did nothing against anybody. So it's like they were trying to... Oh, Trying to get people to make false confessions. Oh, no, totally. You know, which, and we talked about this before. Because, I mean, to bring up Keith, because we just interviewed him again, is we talked about last week how the FBI and the Green River Task Force tried to get him to confess to the Green River slings.
0: Yeah, over a fictitious story that he Yeah, it's like they are
1: so desperate to close out cases a lot of the times, they will, you know, coerce people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not to say all investigators do that, but some do. Now in defense of the FBI, because they were hesitant to speak out and make any comments, they and others cannot believe that Stainer acted by himself. That's where their, that's was their stance at the time. There's no way he could have done this by himself, right? Because they seem to see some contradiction. In the meantime, a grand jury looked into whether or not those other people were involved. And they actually released a statement to the FBI uh, to the San Francisco Chronicle that says no one's off the hook yet. Then the Modesto Beast says in El Portal, a number of residents are convinced that no one person could have created so much horror, especially in the triple slings and the logistics of it say it had to involve more than one person. Um, uh, Privately, some members of the Sun-Peloso Task Force are saying the same thing. Sources have told the newspaper, those sources say it is difficult for some investigators to believe Stainer could have gotten the jump on three women without any help. But on the flip side, some other papers Um, we're reporting that another unconfirmed source maintains that Stainer did act alone with only the help of a weapon.
0: Because he's a ninja.
1: (laughs) Stainer, he says, used a gun after gaining entry to the motel room of the San Peloso, and then he tied them up to subdue them. Now, there have been many developments in this case since, you know, all of this had happened and he was, you know, waiting, you know, arrested and stuff. But I will Get into the updates next episode, because they're kind of extensive, and it goes kind of through his trial and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, like I said, they're kind of extensive, and I don't want to be in the middle of one when time runs out.
0: That makes sense.
1: So, yeah, so we'll get to the rest of this next week, I think. All
0: right. Remember, you can send us an email at Nation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium. Crime Beyond Medium, where we get your blogs. This show's copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. Remember, if you're hearing this on anybody else's podcast, they're lying, thieving <laughs> bastards. <laughs> we'll catch you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.